Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the international affairs, foreign policy, and global development community, and world news aficionados of all stripes. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. My guest today, Arif Hussein, is the chief economist of the World Food Program. I last had him on the show about 15 months ago, and at the time, we discussed declining levels of food security around the world. Needless to say, since January 2020 and the onset of the pandemic, food insecurity and hunger around the world have gotten much worse. In early May 2021, when Arif Hussein and I spoke again for this episode, an alliance of global food security agencies had just released an updated snapshot of food crises around the world. The report found that the number of people facing acute food insecurity and, quote, needing urgent life and livelihood saving assistance hit a five-year high in 2020. We kick off this conversation discussing the report's findings before having a longer discussion about what exactly is driving this surge in food insecurity and hunger around the world today and what can be done about it. I learned a lot from this conversation, which was very much grounded in fact and data. I think you will appreciate it. Uh, so just a quick PSA before we start. If you are listening to me right now on Spotify, the platform has made a few changes over the past few weeks, and I just wanted to make sure you are aware of this. Uh, please make sure that you're not just listening to an individual episode of Global Dispatches, but rather that you are following the show. Uh, when you hit the follow button, please be sure to toggle to the button on the bottom of the screen to get notified of new episodes as they are published. This podcast publishes twice every week, so I want you to make sure that you are notified when we publish an episode that interests you. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, just be aware that in the coming weeks, Apple Podcasts is planning a major upgrade to their app. For now, though, all you need to do is make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. So be sure to hit the subscribe button if you are listening in Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening in any other platform, Pocket Casts, Overcasts, uh, you know, just keep on keeping on. All right, for now, here is my conversation with Arif Hussein, Chief Economist of the World Food Program. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 
So this is something which is called uh, the Global Report on Food Crises. And uh, we've been doing this for the last five years. And the best part about this report is that it's not a s- one single organization. It is about 16 different organizations which come together to say that, yes, in a given country, we think that X number of people are um, in crisis or worse food security situation. So so like the um, data that it draws from is greater than many other similar reports. It's, it, it has a lot of different data sources, a lot of different organizations contribute to this. Yeah, but more so there is consensus on the data. Mm, okay. So, so, so it is not that it covers a whole lot of countries, but the countries that it covers, there you have a pretty solid consensus in terms of what is happening. Mm-hmm. So, you, so, so you have like high confidence in the accuracy. You of have it. you have high high confidence uh, in the accuracy of the of the data because it has gone through a vetting process, which is not just a single organization but several organizations. So what did the report find overall? The report found that in 2020, there were about 155 million people in only 55 countries, which were in crisis or worse hunger situation. If you, if you look at this in, uh, in trend, it is really interesting. Why? Because of these 55 countries, we have been capturing data for 39 countries every single year since 2016. Okay. And in 2016, in these 39 countries, there were 94 million people who were in crisis or worse situations. And today that number is 147 million. That's like a 56% uh, increase in the level of extreme hunger in terms of you know people suffering extreme hunger in these 39 countries. So that's that's one one lesson. The second thing which it says is, you know, we are, we are always concerned about about children, and about 75 million children under the age of five are suffering from stunting in these 55 countries. And, and stunting is, is a condition that results in yeah. underweight and undersized children stemming oh, right. from malnutrition at an early age that's, or undernutrition at an early age. That's, that's correct. So and it could have so, like lifelong know, effects on a person's educational and development achievement as well. Everything, everything, yeah. everything, because it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're too short for your age, simply put, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of height. And uh, and guess what? There are another 15 million children who, in our language, we call them, they're wasted, which means that they're too skinny for their height. Okay. So, so imagine that we are talking millions upon millions of children in this situation. Now, what comes next is why, why is this happening, you know? And, uh, and we've been talking about three main reasons. By far, the biggest reason today of such a level of misery is conflict. 99.1 million people in this report in 23 countries are in this situation solely because of conflicts. 
around the world. In 2019, that number was about 77 million. The second reason is economic shocks. About 40 million people who are in this state of crisis or worse hunger are there because of economic shocks. A year ago, meaning in 2019, that number was 24 million. And then the third reason is climate extremes. And about 16 million people in 2020 were in this situation because of bad weather, you know. So 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 these three factors and unfortunately what happens is that it's never only one thing affecting everybody, right? Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask you next. Is there a place in the world that crystallizes this trend in which you have conflict combined with economic shock, combined with extreme weather or climate change that is forcing people into food insecurity in these kind of dramatic numbers? Or is there, are there any kind of specific examples on the ground you can discuss? Oh, I, well, unfortunately, several. I mean, think of the Sahel, think of mm-hmm. Mali, think of Burkina Faso, think of Central African Republic, think of Northeast Nigeria, think of South Sudan, think of, I mean, I can keep going on. Mm-hmm. Well, on it's interesting that you mentioned, because Burkina Faso is yeah. is mentioned in your report specifically. It's a very you know small country in the Sahel. Right. Can you just kind of go into some details about what's happening in, say, Burkina Faso that's driving people to this extreme level of food insecurity? Well, you know, they're, they're essentially, I mean, that's a classic example of all these three things coming together, right? So so, so there is conflict there. There is extremism there. Bad weather affects the, the, the agriculture, right? And, uh, and when agriculture is not working in the first place, and then you have conflict, that means that it triggers displacements of people. And when people start to move and come in other places and they have nothing, that starts conflicts with the host communities and it kind of feeds on itself, right? And that's what we have seen in Burkina Faso to the extent that in um, in 2020, there was uh, in the North, there was a small pocket of, of famine. And, uh, and to me, I mean, this is where I was gonna, you know, we have talked about famines in, uh, in 2020 in Yemen, in South Sudan and in Burkina Faso. And altogether that meant about 133,000 people in famine-like situations. Now, look, coming, looking at it now, we have 155,000 people in famine-like situations in South Sudan and in Yemen. Mm. And uh, the one which is getting added to that right now is Madagascar. IPC just integrated phase classification. They just came out with their analysis a couple of days ago, uh, which shows, uh, I think it's about 13,000 people Hmm. in Madagascar who are in phase five of the IPC, which is the integrated phase classification, our way of classifying people into a famine situation. And just just to to briefly stop you there, there are five of these levels. The fifth, the most extreme, is is famine. I think the one before that is emergency. The one before that is crisis. Um, And before that that is like stressed. 
That's correct. You're testing me. I've, I've done this for a while. Yeah. And then I think you and I are, are in like the first phase, like, you know, totally, you know, food secure, not worried. Yeah. We are the, we are the green, we are the phase We're, one. And then yeah. the second one is the stress. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in this report, there are about 200 million people in still in 55 countries. Huh? Mind you, mm-hmm. I keep on saying that still in 55 countries, there are 200 million people who are in stress and then mm-hmm. 155 million people in crisis. Mm-hmm or worse situation. But, you know, this is the thing, that this is not even the end of the story because there are about 30 million plus people who are in emergencies. Mm-hmm. Okay? These people, mostly in conflict affected, so so think of Yemen, think of South Sudan, think of Syria, think of uh, Northeast Nigeria again. Uh, these people are almost completely reliant on humanitarian assistance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if for any reason, whether it's a money reason or it's an access reason, we cannot reach them, they are at the risk of paying the ultimate price. And I mean, you know, it's still, I mean, I, I, I live this job day in, day out, but it's really, really bothers me that in 21st century, we are talking about people dying of famines on one side. Mm-hmm. Getting back to this Madagascar situation, you yeah. said that uh, 13,000 people have just been right. identified as being in that kind of phase five famine catastrophe situation. And again, it's right. maybe worth pointing out that this is not like a qualitative assessment. This is, uh, it's my understanding at least that, you know, you take data around like malnutrition yeah. levels and child mortality and extrapolate from, from that uh, to move people into one phase or another. And now you're saying that 13,000 people have kind of crossed this quantitative threshold to be right. existing in, in famine. In general, can you just explain what's going on in, in Madagascar that has moved people into this new kind of famine phase? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, the, 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 it's the climate extremes, right? So, mm-hmm. so again, the, the vicious cocktail of conflict and climate extremes. I mean that that that's simple, and it has been going on for a while, and uh, and you know people are are getting from bad to worse. I mean that's the simplest ex- explanation of that. But and you know the the unfortunate part is that it's not in one place. You know this this uh, you know this thirty million plus people I just mentioned, right, who are in emergencies, they're one step away from the famine classification. So it doesn't take a whole lot to get them there, you know, and that's what people have to understand that it's not, you don't start to act when a famine is already declared. Your last, let's say the, 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 the last point where you must act is the emergency point. Why? Because the moment you stop there, you, people have already died. You know, I don't know if you, 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 your, your listeners you know the definition of famine. We say that three conditions must come together for a place to be, you know, declared in a famine. Uh, first and foremost, 20% of a population in that given area, whether it's a town, whether it's a village, whether it's a county, whether it's a province, whether it's a state, 20% of the population there must be, you know, starving, essentially not having enough to eat. That's first condition. 
The second condition is that 30% of children in that particular area must be wasted. You know, explained wasted to you earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So they're too skinny for their for their height. And then the third condition is that the mortality rate must be double than what it's supposed to be. You know, so instead of one per 10,000 per day, it is two per 10,000 per day for adults. And uh, and for children, instead of two per ten thousand per day, it's four per ten thousand per day. When these conditions come true, we say our place is in a catastrophe. So and that's and that's why I should say that's what I meant uh, earlier when I said this is not like a qualitative yeah. designation. This is no, no. and it and it doesn't just mean you know lack of food. It has these quantitative conditions that must be met yeah. in order for the global humanitarian community to declare a famine. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and you know, I mean, um, um, it's uh, what I've been trying to tell people is that uh, this criteria sometimes is too strict. Mm-hmm. Why? Because this was designed to deal with, with, uh, with uh, the famines coming out of droughts, no? where, you know, if there was a drought, you could go and you could do a nutrition survey, you could do a, a mortality survey, you could do a food security assessment. But now, when most of these things are triggered from conflict, you don't have that flexibility. You don't have days to go and do these surveys, right? So you need to have a different mechanism. You need to have a mechanism which allows you very quickly to go in and assess the situation and say, oh, you know what? This is really bad. Is that and developed? Do, do you have well, that at is, WFP yet? We, we are working on, on that, but you know, this is something which... Uh, which has to be be done globally, and we are not there yet. Uh, but yeah. I think it's about time that we get there. You know. Yeah. So we use the terms like famine-like condition instead of saying directly that it's a famine. We will say, you know what, this is a famine-like condition. But but believe me that that is the the when you know you go and see these places, you know that it's really bad. And mm-hmm. if you've been in this business you can very, very quickly assess, you know, how bad a situation is. Um, so, so that is something uh, we, we need to, um, I'm asking, um, actually we're working on that, but very, very quickly we need to come up with a better uh, or quicker, not better, but quicker way of assessing this. That's interesting. So because of the fact that, you know, when this system was developed, famines were mostly caused by droughts. You were able yeah. to do those surveys, but now because famines are mostly caused by conflict, you're not able to kind of gather the data on the ground required to declare a famine. So you need to sort of make a shift in 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 how you identify a famine. That's really interesting. Yeah, but but also think about this right now. So right now, um, because of COVID, mobility is very restricted, right? Mm. So it's not that famines have stopped happening. In fact, they have increased from what our data tells us. So, you know, this is the, there is this urgency to get systems down, which allow us to do this, even when access is so much restricted, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where the technology is helping. This is what I'm saying. We're already on, on that phase. We're not, we haven't achieved the end goal, but we are in that direction. And we are using, you know, um, like World Food Program, we have uh, what we call the Hunger Map Live. 
your 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 uh, your viewers should, uh, your listeners should uh, look at it, uh, which is essentially uh, where we are looking at about ninety countries, of which about forty countries are in near real time, meaning. Mm. We can tell what's happening there in terms of people's consumption, in terms of people's coping, in terms of people's access to markets, in terms of their access to health centers on a daily basis, mm. right? And that type of tools, you know, so so of those 90 countries, for about 40 countries, we have um, this system, which is in, like I said, which is in real time. And then for the remaining countries, we are using, you know, uh, we are projecting it, uh, we are forecasting it. And these are all new things which are coming in. Why? Because you cannot put, you know, feet on the ground because either it's conflict or it's disease. This is where we are going. Mm-hmm. And I think this, the sooner we get there, uh, the better it is uh, if we want to have a solid, clear idea of what is happening around the world. So last time we spoke about 15 months ago, we were just getting the first reports of this kind of mysterious flu-like coronavirus Mm -hmm. in China uh, that was starting to make its way to neighboring countries. Now, of course, uh, we are where we are. uh, And I am interested in learning from you how uh, or what your report suggests or how you interpret data from the report about how uh, the COVID pandemic has impacted food security. Oh, look, I mean, let me tell you. uh, So we talked about, you know, food security was not a pretty picture even before COVID, right? Because of conflicts, because of climate, because of economic shocks. But what COVID has done is uh, it has just, um, it has just, uh, exasperated that situation to an extent that globally we're talking about 270 million people in 79 countries where WFP is present in crisis or worse situation, right? So that's that's the first thing. But what I'm really, really concerned about is that the needs, the the food security situation is nowhere near subsiding, nowhere near getting better. But what is happening out there is that the ability, our ability to respond to those needs is shrinking. And when I say ours, I'm not talking about WFP alone. I'm talking about countries. I'm talking about UN agencies. I'm talking about all. It's, It's less than it was before COVID. And you would say, why is that? is because if you look at the data in terms of how much money the world collectively has spent over the last 14 months is about $23 trillion with a T to deal with the disease and its economic consequences. You know, the stimulus packages and putting, you know, creating fiscal space and all of that kind of stuff, right? That is 25% of the global GDP spent in 14 months. So there is a huge shortage going forward in terms of resources at the national level and for UN and for others, obviously, while the needs are more, higher and higher and higher. So there's this big gap. 
What that means is that agencies like ours, we need to assist people directly, but we also need to do more and more of this enabling work where, you know, we can help governments make sure that their every dollar, every cent, every euro, every yen gets utilized to its fullest extent. And that enabling work, that technical assistance type of work, takes a completely different meaning. And I think that's something which all UN agencies, all international bodies, everybody should realize that it is, yes, you need to to do the heavy lifting, but you also need to use these, these pulleys, if you will, which allow you to make sometimes even a bigger impact because you are helping better utilization of national resources uh, for a better good. I think that to me is something which we need to very clearly understand and do over the next several years uh, if well, we want to make a serious impact. Uh, well, uh, Arif, uh, hopefully by the next time we speak, uh, we will have moved in that direction. Uh, I'd love to catch up with you again, uh, maybe in another 15 months to see where things stand. Yeah. You know, I wanted to say one, you know, people ask me like, okay, so is there a recipe? Is there something uh, which uh, which could be like, you know, there are essentially... If I had to put that in perspective, I would say that there are essentially five things which we must do right now. So first and foremost is uh, funding. Because like I said, I mean, you know, those 30 plus million people, uh, if you don't have the money, if you're going to reach them, they pay the ultimate price, right? Just assisting those 30 plus million people, 34 million to be precise, is $5 billion. Giving them one meal per day, for a year at 45 cents a meal. So you see, I'm just telling you how quickly these numbers mm. be- be- become bigger. So first and foremost, need the financing. Second thing is humanitarian access. You, I'm sure, have heard it several, several times. Humanitarian access is critical. And that humanitarian access has to be sustained. It's not enough to go in once. You have to go every single month month with the assistance. And by the way, if you only have money and no access, it doesn't work. If you have only access and no money, it doesn't work. So you need both of them. The third thing is, the sooner we get in, the cheaper it is, and it saves more lives and changes more lives. So prevention is extremely important. The fourth thing is preparedness and preparedness at the national level because it is uh, building resilience of individuals, communities, and nations through systems so they can act is cheaper and is faster. And the last thing I cannot go without saying that is the importance of having real-time data. We, our technologies are there. We can see a lot more now. We can hear a lot more now. And we need to combine the two to make sure that they impact, they allow us to take action sooner. And, uh, and when there are, there are issues that our data shows us very, very quickly, so we can adjust to that. I think these are the things, if we do these things 
um, you know, um, we can at least minimize the pain. We can at least ease the pain. And then at the end of the day, and this last thing I want to say is, frankly, unless we sort out conflict, there is no way humanitarian needs will come down. And if we want, so if we want humanitarian needs to come down, if we want, we have to, we have to find political solution to these conflicts. Otherwise, keep writing the check. Well, well, thank you. Thank you, Arif. Thank you, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Arif Hussein for chatting with me uh, again. I really did appreciate this conversation and his clear explanation of the causes of rising food insecurity around the world today. And again, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, if you're listening on Spotify, please be sure that you are following the show and getting notified as new episodes are published. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, make sure you are subscribed to the feed. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.